cliffcentral.com. Well, it is election day in the U.S., and that means midterm elections today. Many people go to the polls either to decide who the governor or the senator or some House of Representatives uh, member they're voting for, and obviously down-ballot from that because it's the United States. They choose judges. They choose the local dog catcher. They choose pretty much everybody that they need to in their local and state elections, too. And because it's very, very difficult to get a grip on these things, and so many people are interested in what happens, of course, they always say that America makes the decisions and then the rest of the world deals with the ramifications. Um, Whether that's true or not, whether the American empire is truly at its end or not remains to be seen. But someone who I suspect has a firm opinion on this because he's been watching these things for many years now. He has also been uh, a man here in Africa who has given information to the rest of the world about what's been happening. He is the Washington correspondent for The Guardian. And from 2010 to 2015, he was the African correspondent for The Guardian. He was based in Johannesburg during that time. That's where I got to know him. And he is in Washington now on Election Day. David Smith, what a pleasure to see you. How are you? I'm fine. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Absolutely. Now, it's uh, probably no surprise to my listeners or or to anyone who's read The Guardian that you and I are likely to have completely different uh, points of view on politics, both in America and everywhere else. But as I've often said to people, and America's currently at, at um, the, the point of deciding on some major direction, uh, but you can be friends. There are still people like you and I who can talk to each other and, and have fun and have interesting conversations without absolutely despising each other. Do you think you've ever seen America as polarized as it is now, though? No. And actually, when I interview uh, Americans who uh, are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, many of them will say they've never seen it as polarized as this. Uh, the closest comparison Maybe the 1960s, uh, the protests over the Vietnam War, um, the civil unrest there was in major cities, uh, that was pretty divisive. But uh, you'll hear a lot of historians say this is the worst it's been since the American Civil War in the 1860s. And, and now you, you even hear serious people uh, wonder if there could be a, a second civil war in, in America, which was uh, the kind of thing that was unthinkable when I was uh, Growing up, um, just just deep polarization over many many issues, including uh, abortion rights, um, voting rights, uh, just just culturally, socially, and you've seen it in this midterm election again. Uh, two parties campaigning on really two different sets of issues. It's really a, a split screen, and it's uh, it's hard to see what's going to bring the country back together. So let's talk first about, because, I mean, there's no point really in getting into too many of the results, because by the time we broadcast this, which will only be a few hours from now, we'll have a lot more clarity and a lot can change during uh, election day in terms of results. But what do you think is on the ballot here? Because you mentioned abortion. Um, the Democrats seem to be playing that card quite hard at the moment. They're also saying that if you don't vote for us, basically it's the end of democracy. Do you think there's any credence to that? And and what are the event, what are the uh, the main issues that are that are affecting most voters? And what do you think they'll go to the polls and vote for or against? Well this election has been described as um abortion versus uh, inflation. Um and I think that's one framing uh in terms of the party priorities and, and what people are voting for. Um most opinion polls suggest that, uh, as usual, uh, the economy is paramount here. And in particular, um, 
uh, very negative perceptions of the economy. I think there was one survey uh, around 80, 90 percent of people thought the economy was heading in the wrong direction. And indeed, there are some predictions of a recession in the US, just like uh, around the world. Um, inflation is uh, about 8.5 percent. And uh, usually when that happens, people tend to blame the party in power, i.e. Uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats. So uh, I think that will be the prevailing factor. Um, Republicans have also pushed a lot on uh, crime, uh, which is uh, rising in some major cities, not, not as much as uh, they would uh, have you believe. But uh, certainly there's some already some internal debate among Democrats about whether they've really failed to tackle that issue. And and again, a familiar playbook being seen as uh, soft on crime. Uh, meanwhile, the Democratic side, uh, particularly over the summer, they certainly made hay with abortion rights as an issue. Of course, in, in June, the Supreme Court uh, overturned the constitutional right to abortion, Roe versus Wade, after uh, nearly half a century. There's some clear evidence that uh, that led to uh, an increase in the number of women registering to vote. Uh, it certainly energised the party and, and certainly may still be a factor on election day. And, and yes, as you mentioned, um, Democrats, including Barack Obama recently on the campaign trail, are arguing that uh, democracy is on the ballot. Uh, this is the first general election since uh, a mob of Donald Trump supporters uh, stormed the US Capitol on January the 6th, 2021. It's, it's the first major test of American democracy since then. And Joe Biden himself says that more than 300 so-called election deniers, people who believe Trump won that election and, and might uh, uh, game future elections, uh, they are they are running for important offices this time. Um, so uh, certainly there are many who believe that uh, uh, this, this could be a big blow to American democracy if, if a lot of these uh, conspiracy theorists actually become Secretary of State and Governor and other posts in, in, in various uh, states. But, but interesting, what we're seeing in the, the polling and the surveys is that uh, uh, not that many, not enough Americans take the democracy issue seriously for it to determine their vote. Um, you certainly see some surveys that suggest uh, people are more concerned about the economy than they are about the future of democracy. Well, the Democrats have changed their strategy a number of times during this campaign. You mentioned Barack Obama, and let's just start there and we can look through some of the others. I mean, it's it's strange to me that they keep trotting him out. Clearly, Biden's not having the effect that they hoped he would. I don't think they can rely on Kamala Harris for the similar reason that they can't rely on, on Joe Biden. And maybe I'm being unkind, but who is their main go-to guy when it comes to trying to energize people? Because if you draw on poor old Barack Obama every time. And listen, we all, I think, are in, in complete agreement that this guy has some spectacular oratory skills. He still has an enormous amount of support. You know, he was a president who managed to get a lot of votes from straight-up Republicans um, in, in, in his first election uh, term, in his first four-year term. But, but if they're drawing on him, is this not an admission that they've really screwed up the strategy? You've already kind of hinted at the abortion thing. But, but Obama being called back, is this desperation? Uh, yes, to a degree. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot going on there. Firstly, Joe Biden is turning 80 later this month. Uh, his approval rating is pretty low in the 40s. He's not an especially popular president. And so we've seen him actually deliberately avoiding some of the key battleground states. I think some of the candidates there fear that he would be a, a drag on them. He would be a, a hindrance rather than a help. Um, so mm -hmm. he's 
campaigning, including last night in Maryland, in, in states where Democrats are already well on the way to, to victory. Uh, similarly, Kamala Harris, uh, uh, she's been doing some rallies, not especially uh, popular. Um, it's all in a huge contrast to Donald Trump, who, whether candidates want him or not, uh, invites himself to these battlegrounds and does mobilize, yeah. does uh, whip up big crowds, although certainly there are some cases where yeah, yeah hindrance rather than a help. Um, and meanwhile, um, Barack Obama remains the undoubted star of the Democratic Party. I, I saw him give a speech in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. It was very uh, electrifying. Uh, it certainly overshadowed uh, Joe Biden. Um, uh, Obama has the gift of oratory. And I would say, in fact, uh, right now, uh, Obama is, is in his prime. He's better than ever at the age of uh, 61. I think he's really been liberated from the cares of the, the White House of, of office. Uh, you know, that, that crown can wear heavily. Now it's uh, Obama unbound. He's, he's energized. He's using uh, a sense of humor, an easy, relaxed manner. Uh, he's found a way to be punchy and, and pugnacious in going after Republicans. And I think a lot of uh, other Democrats could uh, could learn from that. So, uh, so yes, he's, uh, he's the Democrats, not so secret weapon. But will it make that much difference? We'll have to see. Well, I'm so glad that you brought Trump up because he just can't help himself. Huh? I mean, it's it, it was a day to go until the elections today. The Republicans are looking quite strong in all kinds of places for all kinds of reasons. And he just can't help but insert himself right into the middle of the conversation, take up all the space in the room and like a big baby, say me, 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 because... He couldn't even resist uh, staying away from from Ron DeSantis, who, for whatever reason, seems to be gaining a lot of traction. There are there are good reasons for that. Some people think they're not necessarily good reasons, but Trump just can't handle it. It isn't about him. And and w w where he could have waited until after the midterms, and with a pretty successful looking Republican slate, he had to make it about him this time again. Um, he, he's just he's just got no discipline, huh? Correct. Um... You know, he's been described as a malignant narcissist, and I think that's fair. He's a he's a child playing with matches. It's uh, it's all about him and his ego. Um, I went to a campaign rally in uh, Pennsylvania on Saturday. Um, officially, it was for the candidates uh, Doug Mastriano for governor and Mehmet Oz for the Senate. But of course, uh, mm. it was all about Trump, um, and uh, he arrived on a a Boeing seven five seven. It had the word Trump written in huge dog letters on the side. It's, it's nicknamed Trump Force One. And uh, such a showman, this, this plane came to a halt uh, where he was speaking to Rani so that uh, for, for people in this small town where, frankly, not a lot happens, um, this was the idea of uh, here's a king, here's an emperor, uh, literally descending from the sky on, on his jet, uh, going to spread some stardust, bring his uh, celebrity and fame. He gave a speech for uh, literally two hours. Uh, a bit of it was about the Senate governor candidates, but the vast majority, of course, was about him and his grievances and uh, teasing a run for president in 2024, which I think is now uh, a certainty. And, and yes, it does uh, risk um, undermining some of the Republican candidates uh, this time. We'll have to see how the candidates that he endorsed uh, does. But uh, but yes, uh, Trump has dominated American politics for the past six or seven years. And it looks like we're going to have at least another two of those when he runs for the White House. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Joe Biden's age, it makes me think that, well, Donald Trump is is also going to be 80 by the time he does run for a second term, if that's what he decides to do now. 
if we can just refer to one or two other issues that were on the on the, the ballot this year, and you mentioned abortion. I mean, in truth, despite the overturning of Roe v. Wade, what they really did is kick that back to the states. And most of the states that were pro-abortion have not changed any of their rules. Most of the states that were anti have not changed any of their rules. Not a lot has actually changed on the ground. And for women who are concerned about these things, the Republicans did try to make a federal law a little while ago, but it didn't work. And what they were going for there was something like a 20-week limit, which is what we have here in South Africa. It's what many European countries have. So it's not that extreme. So when you see a lot of these candidates going out and saying, oh, well, you know, abortion's on the ballot, and this message can only really apply to half the population because it is mostly women concerned with this, unfortunately. Um, So... It, it's probably not the smartest strategy if that's what you're going to lead with. And maybe that's why they've changed their tune so many times. Well, um, the day that Roe versus Wade was overturned, I, I went outside the Supreme Court and uh, I could tell you the the passions, the emotions, the, the fury was running very high. Um, there were thousands of uh, women and men um, incensed by this. I mean, just think about it. And I remember from my days in South Africa, um, the importance of the Constitution, what a what a tremendous document the South African Constitution is, and, and rightly there's great pride in it, as there is in the American one. This was uh, the first time in history that a, a constitutional right had actually been taken away from people. I mean, it's just really extraordinary. Um, and, um, and actually, uh, we have seen several states already uh, moving to have near or total bans uh, on abortion. Um, on the other side, Actually, some of the democratic uh, states that are pro-abortion rights are actually strengthening that. So we're seeing a, a further polarization um, in, in America. And um, there does seem to be Republican hypocrisy on this issue because um, just a few weeks ago, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina proposed a, uh, a national abortion ban uh, 15 weeks after conception. Um, some, some Republicans really think that could backfire on them. It could energize uh, women and Democratic voters uh, to turn out. Uh, it's far from clear whether such a proposal would ever get support. But, but certainly uh, some of the predictions are, appear to be coming true that uh, Republicans said we want to throw this to the states. And then about five minutes later, they're already mobilizing for a, a national abortion, yeah, ban, which is, ridiculous. by the way, favored by uh, Mike Pence, the former mm-hmm. vice president. Uh, who may well be running against Trump in 2024. Uh, mm. He makes no bones about it. He favors a, a national abortion ban. So I think people see a, a slippery slope here. Well, I mean, Trump got close to intimating that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he he were hanged um, not so long ago as part of all that January 6th noise. Now, just to go back to that for a second, I mean, we talk about election deniers, and this is, you know, this term has been used for climate deniers, it comes from Holocaust denier, obviously, which is something which, which has real roots. But it appears to me that this election denier thing is a problem on the Democrat side, too. Hillary Clinton has been touring anywhere that will have her for the last four years, five years, six years, explaining why she actually won in 2016. Um, we found out subsequently that all of that stuff about, you know, the, the Russian uh, the Russian campaign to get Donald Trump elected was more or less ineffective nonsense. And there's no proof or evidence of the fact that he was peeing on hookers or any such thing. We've also discovered that uh, people like 
uh, Stacey Abrams in, in Georgia, who's been claiming to be the governor there forever. And every Democrat that, that is asked this question says, Oh no, she definitely won it. These are the same people who have a problem with election deniers, 300 of them or so, as you mentioned earlier on the ballot. Is that also not a bit of hypocrisy? Uh, maybe a, a, a smidgen, but I think we're talking about two very different things, really. This is not uh, symmetrical. It's not 50 on one side, 50 on the other, uh, six on one, half a dozen on the other. Um, uh, yeah, there are a few cases of Hillary Clinton, Stacey Abrams making remarks that perhaps now they regret in the current climate. Uh, it's It's not even remotely comparable to the concerted, coordinated, organized effort on the Republican side to mobilize members of Congress who voted not to recognize Joe Biden's election, who mobilized lawyers to take us to courts and the Supreme Court, and perhaps most obviously of all, literally mobilized uh, an angry armed mob to attempt a, a coup at the US Capitol on January the 6th. I mean, Hillary Clinton is not doing that. Stacey Abrams is not doing that. Um, so I think ultimately this is a classic case of whataboutism, where it's the Republican playbook to do something wild and insane and possibly criminal and then point to the other side and say, yeah, but 10 years ago you said this once. And it's just not comparing like with like. It's just not, uh, it's, it's just not the equivalent. I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of some of these things that people are saying, but it, it does appear to me that there be, that there, there's, that there seems to be some kind of a double standard. I heard, um, historian Michael Beschloss asked on, um, I think it was on, on uh, MSNBC the other day, and he's actually the presidential historian. He said, basically, if the Republicans get in now, they will kill your children in this interview. And I suddenly thought, well, this is a bit of extremism. This is a little bit of alarmism, if nothing else. But uh, he doesn't see it that way, and he's a historian. So I'm a little bit worried that <laughs> there seem to be people more and more pulled to the extremes of their various camps and that there's no room for people to have civil arguments about these things anymore. If democracy really is on the ballot, that doesn't mean that Republicans are coming to kill your children. And similarly, if the Democrats do end up pulling a, an amazing trick out of the bag here, um, are we going to have either party after this claiming that this election was fraudulent, that there was low voter turnout, that there was rigging? Is that going to happen? I think there's a great danger of that. And, and yes, in the current atmosphere of polarization, um, there is a danger of, of both sides um, overreaching, including Democrats sometimes with some very apocalyptic uh, portraits. And during four years of the Donald Trump presidency, every tweet was treated as if it was the end of the world. Um, one um, one political pollster that I talk to sometimes describes these as Armageddon elections where both sides regard it and portray it as uh, victory is everything. And if well, we... they keep saying they keep saying this is the most important election right. of our lifetimes <laughs> every four, every two years, not even four. And if we lose, then it's total catastrophe. It's the end of the world um, as we as we know it um, mm. now. Uh, I think um, Democrats have some grounds for saying a bit about this time, given these, these election deniers on the march. I mean, uh, who knows how extreme and far out the Republican Party could become. But uh, but 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 yes, uh, Joe Biden, others are still aiming for some kind of middle ground, some kind of dialogue, some way to to, to bring it back to civility before uh, before this country just goes off the rails. And it's it's very difficult in a in an atmosphere of uh, cable news and social media that uh, really incentivizes 
extremism incentivizes saying the most outrageous thing um mm -hmm. in, uh, your opponent uh, obviously trump has poured oil on all those uh, flames so uh, uh a, a lot of people are struggling for what you know what's the answer here to to bring america back to just something like normal I've seen quite a lot of reports um, and, and opinion pieces on how COVID and the handling of COVID seems to have been a major thing that people haven't forgotten about. You know, there are a lot of people whose kids were at home with them for a year, maybe more, um, who, were, who were shut into their houses largely. They couldn't go to the beach. They couldn't do a whole bunch of things. And it is more or less the Democrats who had the most stringent um, and, and most uh, draconian laws during covid to kind of restrict people's movement restrict their rights to go to church to school that kind of thing mask mandates uh, vaccine mandates these are the kinds of things that the democrats prided themselves on at the beginning and they were pushing for then president trump and after that president biden to be as strict as possible with these kinds of things do you think there's a lot of uh, of of anger from people who haven't forgotten this stuff and remember who did this to them and now want some kind of retribution by voting them out? Yes, I think it's, uh, it's certainly there in the background for a lot of uh, Republican voters. And if you go to a, a Trump rally, certainly Dr. Anthony Fauci, the chief medical advisor, is, is demonized. Um, and there's talk of uh, dragging him to Capitol Hill for, for investigations. I mean, I, I do think uh, people have a pretty short uh, memory here. Um, Donald Trump was the president when a lot of these restrictions were put in place. And actually, America, even in democratic cities and states, was, was pretty relaxed and laid back compared to uh, the UK and other countries in Europe. Um, and my understanding, probably more relaxed than uh, South Africa from, from what I've uh, gathered. I mean, in, in Britain, for example, um, there, were, there were rules that you couldn't even leave your home unless you were exercising. Um, in, in China, obviously, there's still very yeah. different And America being America with its uh, culture, its history of individual freedom, never went uh, that far. So, so, yes, schools were closed. Some businesses were. But you could still go out and about. You could still go shopping. You could still do a, a lot of things compared to the rest of the world. Well, it, it was it was objectively true that the blue states were much more pro these COVID moves than than the red states were. Oh, sure, but you know the bottom line here is that uh, you know some people would argue America should have actually been more strict rather than less strict, and they would point to a death toll of now of more than one million people. Uh, you know, America's performance during the pandemic was was terrible by by global standards. Um, more, more of whom, more of whom, again, by the numbers, died while Biden was president than Trump, and that was with the vaccine. Sure, because uh, you know, Biden's been in office for a longer period now, you know, compared to the, the pandemic. Um, but, but it's interesting that the Democrats are not mentioning anything to do with COVID at all. They're desperate to avoid it because they know they've lost on this issue. Yeah, I think. Um, uh, Republicans have certainly weaponized it, and um, just just culturally now, I know uh, there's, a, there's a there's a short memory, there's amnesia. There's a a lot of people will say, why did we close schools for so long? And certainly, kids' uh, test results did suffer as a as a result of that. Um, uh, this is a this is a society where people want to carry their guns 
uh, f freedom is really integral to it. So any any government interference is always treated with default uh, scepticism. And, uh, and and I agree. And, and you, you know, you could have a debate over well, Donald Trump actually. One of the few good things he did was investing in vaccines and he got them going. But you could also say, well, but Joe Biden did well to, to implement them and run a massive national program of, of vaccines and, and testing. But to be honest, interestingly, neither side is, is really at the forefront of this election. People have people are so determined to move on from the pandemic that uh, I think the economy, inflation, abortion, other things are, are ultimately going to take precedence um, over that. Uh, but on potentially interesting footnote is that I, I, I've seen it argued that if we do see a Republican primary election in 2024 between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, then um, DeSantis might be able to uh, attack Trump over uh, pandemic uh, restrictions uh, because Trump did approve some on medical advice and DeSantis has made a big thing about uh, being pro-freedom and, and anti-restrictions and, and so on. And uh, DeSantis might be able to to argue that, uh, that that he was working in the interest of his uh, of his people, and uh, even Trump bowed to Dr. Fauci on this one. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people will hold him responsible for for going along with the science and the experts at that point, all of whom have really disgraced themselves since. Um, with with a lot of retractions, I saw an article not so long ago in the Atlantic saying, "Let's have an amnesty because we didn't really know what was going on," which. If you've ever seen an admission of guilt in your life, it's that we should all have an amnesty because we're terribly worried that once the Republicans win these elections, they'll come after all the people who made these terrible decisions, many of whom are, are, are on think, the left. Don't you think there's some truth in the notion that we didn't know what was going on? I mean, um, scientists had to approach this with some humility, didn't they? It was a, you mm, know, they didn't. Was it a century virus? It was, <laughs> But they didn't. There was exactly the opposite attitude. In fact, it was, no, we know what's going on. In fact, we were told these vaccines were 95% effective. Pfizer's had to retract that thanks to an EU commission. I mean, we're finding out more and more that a lot of these people are pretty moron moronic. They're, they're a lot like uh, average citizens, and they had no claim to expert knowledge in any way, shape, or form, most especially the politicians, who obviously are only there by popularity contest. I mean, if, if anything, this whole episode has probably taught all of us to be more suspicious of government and less trusting of these politicians. Perhaps that's the rule. I don't know. We'll have to see when the election results this time roll through. A thing that I found interesting, too, that two other issues which the Republicans are making a big noise about, and you could tell me if they're, if they're actually the kinds of issues that most voters will go to the polls for this time around, the one being immigration. We've seen an unprecedented level of illegal immigration under Joe Biden, the uh, the odd number that they throw out um, uh, that I saw just this week was between five and six thousand people a day crossing the southern border. Whether or not that's exactly right is 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 not the point. I think everyone who lives in Texas, New Mexico, California, and other parts further, you know, uh, more, more close to the the Mexican border than others, these people are are entering America. They're desperate. A lot of them are are just walking straight across, you know. Uh, there, there, are, there are no places to house these people. You mentioned Ron DeSantis earlier. He pulled a bit of a stunt um, earlier this year when he sent some of these immigrants to the neighborhood that Barack Obama lives in, Martha's Vineyard, um, where you have these extremely wealthy people, a lot of them very politically connected, a lot of them extremely uh, 
well known and and some of them with with very uh, you know reputable businesses they certainly regard themselves as being quite blue uh, couldn't wait to get these people out of Martha's Vineyard to wherever as long as it wasn't in my backyard the, the NIMBY thing um so illegal immigration is that a big deal to most Americans or only to Texans well no i think it's a it's a big deal it's uh it's definitely up there as an issue with the economy and um crime for uh, something for republican voters and i i know that uh when i'm in my office and i'm looking at different tvs the the liberal leaning msnbc network will be yeah talking about january the 6 and the future of democracy and abortion rights but uh fox news owned by rupert murdoch conservative network they spend a lot of time and resources talking about uh, the US Mexico border and they'll they'll fly drones over the border to show you people crossing and they'll have all sorts of footage and they'll, they'll have reports on the ground and, and interview people and I I think that tells us that it uh, for, for one thing it makes sort of dramatic visceral tv for people with impact and and secondly it's it, it's just really a talking point in in the uh, conservative uh, world and in that in that eco system Now uh Joe Biden the Democrats would say that on his very first day in office he put forward a plan for immigration reform and they would say yes the immigration system in the US is is broken and has been for some time due to congressional deadlock and politicians wrangling and and so on um Biden has actually kept in place some of the border restrictions that uh, that Trump um imposed particularly during the pandemic Um, the children and the children in cages <laughs> i mean not laughing not because i think it's funny that there are children in cages but because this was already something that uh, was happening under the obama administration many years before trump but it became a democrat talking point under trump well again i think there were different circumstances there but um obviously trump favored building a wall and and biden's not a big fan of that but that becomes a, a useful talking point for republicans um and uh and and you know one interesting spin off from all this is uh we're going to be watching closely latino voters in this uh election being mm. uh, in in texas and other border states the the historic assumption has always been that they vote uh, democratic and that they would uh, dislike donald trump's uh, xenophobia and nativism but um opinion polls suggest and recent elections suggest uh, republicans are and making inroads in that uh, demographic and in places like Texas you are seeing some latino candidates run as uh, republicans and i think you know some of the arguments some of the logic there is that they say you know we came to this country uh, we came legally therefore mm-hmm. we don't see people coming illegally um some of them are second third generation they're buying into the american dream the idea of of working hard rugged individualism we're you know appreciating republican low taxes um that they don't like some of the perceived democratic wokeness so to speak so so on and so on uh very complex uh latinos are not a monolith it's a very diverse group but uh, but that's one to watch i think vis-a-vis the the border security uh, issue yeah i think that's such an interesting observation that there, there may be a, a shift in patterns there because i mean it has been the case that people have been looking at demographic blocks of voters for years and thought well these people are safe they're on our side i mean in the last election because trump was so odious to white women in suburban america uh it was it was fairly clear that joe biden could rely on their vote 
Um, but they are, they're probably a little put off by some of the things they've seen Democrats doing in the last two years and may this time be voting Republican again. Uh, similarly with the, with the, the Hispanic vote, there's obviously quite a lot that's, that's changed there. And probably people are talking also about the black vote, even though that's not monolithic, is it? No, that's right. And I mean, and by the way, on, on white women in the suburbs, one trend we've seen is that, uh, the Roe versus Wade decision by the Supreme Court seemed to boost Democrats among that group. But, uh, more recent weeks, it looks like many white women are now perhaps leading back to Republicans because of the crime issue, which is always a, a fear in the suburbs. African American voters, I mean, still overwhelmingly Democratic, but, um, Donald Trump, Donald Trump did actually make some gains there in 2020 compared to 20, 16. And of course, you know, all these elections are so close that you only need to pick off a few percentage points to make the difference. Or you only need um, black voters to to stay home and not vote at all, perhaps. And uh, well, I mean, you could you could say that if it wasn't for um, the black vote during the primaries and in the Democratic primaries of of 2020, uh, we we wouldn't have had Joe Biden, right? That's, that, that's right. Yes, it, it all turned when uh, James Clyburn, a black congressman from South Carolina, threw his weight behind Biden and South Carolina, uh, a big um, high number of black voters there. They, they supported Biden. That, that changed things around. But, you know, what's interesting is when he won the election, Joe Biden said, you know, you had my back. I will have your back uh, to, to black voters. And uh, but more recently, uh, Al Sharpton, a longtime civil rights activist, said, you know, Mr. President, you promised to have our back. Well, we're actually being stabbed in the back. And, and there's some disaffection among black voters that uh, Biden and the Democratic Congress failed to pass uh, legislation on police reform uh, after the, the murder of uh, George Floyd. And um, well, that, That's an interesting Biden. one. I mean, what happened to the defund the police crowd, by the way, while we're on this? Because everyone's changed their tune on that, too. It was also a bit of a misstep, wasn't it? Again, complicated. I mean, someone like Joe Biden and the centre of the party were, never use the phrase defund of the police and, and, and wouldn't favour that. Some on, some on the left did. And uh, to this day, some still believe, look, you know, defund the police means moving resources to um, social programmes, uh, to education, to infrastructure that, that will actually reduce crime in, in other ways. But um, I think significantly in terms of how this election is going to go, that, that phrase has certainly been seized on by Republicans. And even at Saturday's uh, rally, uh, Donald Trump sort of said in a nutshell, Democrats want to defund the police. Republicans want to defund the cartels, you know, referring to drugs cartels mm-hmm. at the US-Mexico border and, and so on. So it's, it certainly has fed into a narrative that uh, Democrats are, are soft on crime, that they're uh, out of mm-hmm. touch with people's everyday concerns that they're too part of too much part of the the liberal elite and uh, debating policies in universities and and speaking to people with you know uh, powerpoint presentations rather than what you could put a put on a bumper sticker um so on, on that note do you think that the media have played any role in in you know i mean you mentioned that the two polar opposites of msnbc and fox who are clearly on, on both sides very partisan um, and, and have their narratives and almost have an agenda with talking points and follow that day in, day out and cater to an audience that wants to hear that stuff, whether they're on the left with MSNBC or on the right with Fox. But in general, the mainstream media, how have they been warm, cold, uh, you know, better with one party than the other? Because often we hear that 
there's a, a cozy relationship between you know some people in the de- democratic establishment and and so many people in mainstream media we saw former white house white house spokesperson um going to work for msnbc uh, many other members of 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 the you know the biden administration have come out of the media and it seems to be a bit of a revolving door or do you think that that's just a a story that the, the Republicans like trotting out to show that the media are also your enemies. I'm always hesitant to generalize about the media. And uh, one time in, in South Africa before the 2010 World Cup, the, the head of FIFA uh, hauled me out onto a, a football pitch to explain to South Africans uh, why the media are so biased against South Africa. Um, and in, in this instance, I would, I would challenge one premise of your question in that I, I don't think uh, MSNBC and Fox News are are two sides of the same coin. Uh, they're certainly both partisan, but I would argue Fox News is really trading in disinformation and uh, is, is very extreme and is legitimizing um, some pretty crazy people and election deniers. MSNBC, I think, is a, a bit more sort of reasonable. Um, but, you know, having said that, just to, you know, argue slightly against myself, I, I will acknowledge that you're going to have an interesting counterpoint where, Jen Psaki, as you say, the White House press secretary, formerly is about to join MSNBC, whereas Fox News currently has Kayleigh McEnany, who was a, a Trump. Sure. So no, absolutely. There, there are some there are images there, but I, I would argue it's still not. Um, the, the, the only reason I'm, I'm not asking because I'm, I'm trying to you know, stab the media here. The, the reason I, I think this is relevant is because so many people in the U.S. despise the media. They feel that the media has been peopled with people of a specific ideological bent. They also think that those people have it in for them, that they're a bunch of elites who look down at them. You know, the, the famous Hillary Clinton deplorables line comes to, to play here. Perhaps uh, some people would be motivated to vote Republican just because they hate the media. I mean, that's entirely possible. Donald Trump made uh, no bones about the fact that he was positioning himself against the mainstream media. That, that's obviously got some hangover potential. Yet again, at the Trump rally I went to on Saturday, he used his line about the media being the enemy of the people and the crowd all turned on us and, and booed and, and jeered and, and so on. A, bit, a, a pantomime. Um, yes, I mean, I, I think um, the media is very uh, complex and, and varied here. Um, there's there's a, a growing right-wing media sector, um, but you know, New York Times, Washington Post are certainly uh, probably more on the, on the liberal side and uh, get criticised for it. Although when those outlets do a story that's critical of Joe Biden, you, you, you see lots of left-wingers on Twitter sort of denouncing it, saying, you know, how dare you criticise him, concentrate on Republicans and, and so on. It's a, it's a very vibrant, mm. uh, complicated space. But I, I mean, you're... Your central point, I think, is is right, that um, there is a perception, at least among conservatives, Republicans, that uh, left-wing liberals now control everything, uh, the universities, the political parties, uh, NGOs, and, and certainly the, the media, um, and that so, you know, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, and so on, have, have friends in the, the liberal media, and, and that does generate resentment and, and backlash and one of the consequences we've seen of that in this midterm election is that um, quite a few Republican candidates are really refusing to talk to the mainstream media. They're, they're not giving interviews to the New York Times or Washington Post. They're, they're laser focused on their own uh, right wing channels, which are you know, cable news or online or whatever. But um, 
it's all about mobilizing the base. It's about sort of uh, connecting with your own supporters and just screening out the, the noise of other people. And I think that yet again contributes to, to polarization, fragmentation. There's not a, not a national conversation anymore. And, and therefore, we've seen fewer uh, debates as well. So what does this mean for Joe Biden? Because if the if the Dems have a really poor showing in this election, whether it's just in, in the House where they could lose somewhere north of 30 seats, if things go really poorly, they could even lose the Senate uh, because that really is that tends to be a bit of a, 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 a what would you call it? A, uh, almost a referendum on the on the incumbent. Would this mean that Joe Biden is looking very precarious? People already saying he's very old and doddery. He has to be kind of guided around either by Jill or by an aide. And a lot is made of this, especially in the right wing press. But he hasn't been. Um, at his best. And, and there are even in those speeches where he's tried really to electrify the, the supporters, the people in his core audience, the people he, he usually could rely on. It hasn't gone terribly well. So people are waiting in the wings to get rid of him. If you think that is the case, that perhaps post the midterms, they'll say, oh, shame, poor old Joe will retire him and put him in a home. Who comes in then after that, if that's going to happen? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think elections are all about expectations and there's been so much pessimism about how Democrats are going to perform now. But actually, if they only lose 10 seats in the House and if they hold on to the Senate, that would actually be regarded as a, as a victory. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see the way the narrative plays out for Biden. But let's just suppose Democrats have a terrible night. I think, yes, you will see people say Joe Biden's about to turn 80. He's guided us to defeat here. Uh, we really need uh, new blood, and you may particularly hear that from the from the left of the the party. However, I, I think uh, Joe Biden has two secret weapons. One is the the lack of uh, an obvious heir apparent. Um, normally, you would expect that to be the vice president, but there is just not a clamor for Kamala Harris to to run um, in in Biden's place. She she hasn't dazzled. She hasn't impressed. You could uh, debate endlessly whether sexism and racism are in play there, or is it her own performance or a bit of both, but the, the, there is no sort of big Harris movement. And then if you look at the other candidates, um, again, there is there is no clear um, front runner there. It could be Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. It could be Pete Buttigieg, uh, the transport secretary. Um, there are a few other names in, in the mix uh, but, you know, Bernie Sanders, senator, is now in his 80s, probably too old. Alexandria Cassia-Cortez in her 30s, probably too young. But I think the other secret weapon for Joe Biden is um, who is he going to be up against? Um, I think if it was, mm -hmm. was Ron DeSantis or someone younger and dynamic, then Biden's in trouble. But the most likely scenario is that it will be Donald Trump uh, again, who's, uh, as you noted, also in his 70s, currently 76. And the, the argument from Biden will be quite simple. I, I beat him once. I can beat him again. Uh, you know, Biden won the 2020 election. By yeah, and, 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 to be, and to be fair, too, the argument against Trump would be, well, the people who hated him before are not going to change their mind if right. he gives one really great speech. So right. they're already on the negative. And it would be very hard to convince the people who, uh, who feel that he's disappointed them that he will do a better job this time around. That's on his own team, let alone on the other side. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're the Democratic Party, much as you would love to make history, perhaps with the, the first female president or in Pete Buttigieg's case, the first openly gay president, I think pragmatism will kick in and they'll say, 
it's just too much of a gamble with the American electorate to, to do that when, when Trump is the nominee and to go back by saying that is Armageddon for well, us. Uh, let's just, let's just talk about some specific races here because I know we're, we're almost out of time and I don't, I don't want to take up more of your time on this very busy day. I, I appreciate you putting some aside for us. So let's look at a few of these people. You talk about the first female or first openly gay president, if that does materialize, but we, we may have the first brain damaged stroke victim as a senator. And this seems to be something which has polarized people, not only in Pennsylvania, where John Fetterman is running against Dr. Oz, the TV physician. I mean, it's crazy. You, this is idiocracy, the movie playing out, but this, this guy clearly is suffering from, from some cognitive impairments. Um, he may be on the road to recovery. Who knows, but he needs a big screen with the written words on it in order to interpret in, in, in real time what's being asked of him. He had a horrendous debate the other night. People on the left are obviously saying it's a, you know, heroic story of someone who's on the road to recovery while they're doing this brave thing of running for Senate and he's a hero and we should, we should all stand by him. And on the other side, we've got people who are saying this guy's got serious problems and do we have such low standards for politicians that we're prepared to take someone who's who's got acknowledged, you know, brain injury? Well, um, I think another way to look at it is: um, Do we really want to discriminate against people who have strokes or have? Well, speaking and reading is fairly important for a senator, you'd think. The the doctors, the medical experts have said he's still perfectly capable of of doing this job of of being a, a senator, and you know there are already he's some senators. These, these are the same doctors and the medical experts who told us that wearing masks would make a difference. Uh, See what I mean? Well, I would argue <laughs> it did make a difference, and I still yeah. went to sometimes. But <laughs> but good uh, luck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I certainly I think uh, tactically it's uh, it's obviously been a huge blow to to Democrats in terms of um, John Fetterman doesn't come over you know sparklingly in in debates and is the first to acknowledge that um, it's been seized on by uh, by re republicans um in the usual somewhat say, exploitative uh, way i mean it you know the senate is so finely poised it, it may we may look back uh, historically and say control of the entire senate hinged on that one moment that one candidate had a stroke you know maybe the, the stroke that changed the course of history that changed uh, that changed the world but um i mean overall i would say fetterman as lieutenant governor with his record has much better qualifications than a, a TV doctor um, who... Yes, except, uh, except that just this week he said, I've campaigned against Roe v. Wade. I celebrate the demise of Roe v. Wade in one sentence, which means exactly the opposite. It's an, it's an oxymoron as per textbook. So what do we, what do we, what do we believe? Sorry, you know? who, that, sorry? That was Fetterman. He, he made that statement just this week. It's, it's complete nonsense. He's um, he's also uh, been criticised for a remark in the debate about his views on on fracking, which was the more coherent. But what I would also say about that is um, look at uh, Joe Biden's word salads, and most importantly, look at Donald Trump's word salads. I mean, this guy is just a just a stream of consciousness. Sometimes total nonsense. Some of it malicious lying, and sometimes just. Uh, words flowing in, in random orders. So if we're going to hold politicians to that uh, standard, uh, they have to speak clearly clearly the whole time and, and make sense. Then um, uh, I think fair, fair in a lot of yeah. um, <laughs> All right. Well, what, let's look at, let's look at some of the, the more competitive 
areas at the moment, the states that you're most interested in watching results from tonight, the places that you think will be an indication of how the rest will go. Can you give us some idea of that, of what you'll be paying attention to? Sure. Well, you just mentioned Pennsylvania, and I think uh, which is Joe Biden's birthplace. And uh, it's no coincidence that over the weekend we had Donald Trump, Barack Obama and Joe Biden all campaigning there. It could be absolutely pivotal, um, the race for the, the Senate between Fessiman and Oz. Um, another one uh, that's, that's emerged as vital is, uh, is Georgia. Um, remember, we used to talk about Florida a lot as uh, the ultimate battleground. Probably Georgia has replaced Florida as, as Florida turns more and more Republican. Uh, and in Georgia, we have um, a, a Senate race um, between two African-American men, uh, Raphael Warnock, um, a Democrat uh, who's a pastor at Martin Luther King's old church in Atlanta. He's the incumbent senator and he's up against uh, Herschel Walker, who, like Dr. Oz, is a, a Trump pick with no uh, discernible political experience. He's just there as a celebrity because he was uh, great at playing American football and um, Obama had some great fun uh, uh, mocking uh, mocking that uh, reality. Uh, Walker's also faced scandals because uh, he opposed abortion rights, but it turns out uh, he's allegedly paid for two women to have uh, abortions. And just as we saw in January last year, Georgia may be absolutely fundamental in determining control of the Senate. And, and that race may well go to a, a runoff um, in December. So this this drags on and on. Um, in the Georgia governor's race, uh, Stacey Abrams, who we talked about before, she's bidding to become the first black woman ever to be a governor of any American state. And that would be remarkable in the deep south as its history of, of sla- slavery and segregation and, and lynchings. Um, but polls suggest you will probably lose to the um, incumbent uh, Brian Kemp, who uh, interestingly uh, opposed Donald Trump and, and beat the Trump candidates. And uh, uh, he's currently the governor or probably remain so. Um, I'd also be looking to um, Ohio, which has uh, historically always been a, a swing state. It's trended more Republican these days. Um, and we have a Trump candidate, uh, J.D. Vance, um, up against Democrat Tim Ryan, who uh, Ryan has really almost run against his own party. He did not want Biden uh, campaigning for him. Um, he's uh, He said he's agreed with Trump on issues such as China. He's uh, he's playing that card of the, the blue-collar working-class uh, Democrat in a, in a state which is leaning in that direction. But polls suggest that despite Tim Ryan's energy and, and efforts and enthusiasm, um, it's probably not going to, to work for him. And then um, finally, and uh, perhaps most intriguingly of all, the one I, I really want to watch is um, Arizona, uh, further to the West, because uh, that could be ground zero for election deniers for the, for the attack on uh, American uh, democracy um, in the governor's race. Uh, well, I mean, the Senate races are close, but in the governor's race, we have uh, Carrie Lake, a former TV anchor who is um, running as a Republican. She um, she's like a, a new strain of, of Trumpism. She's a new variant, um, very telegenic, charismatic, uh, very very smooth in interviews. So smooth that she can say you know utterly insane things, things that are just untrue. But a lot of people um, believe it. You know, like Trump, she's she's learned the uh, the grammar, the mechanics of uh, of television. Um, and it just so happens that she's up against a, a Democrat, uh, Katie Hobbs, who is not especially charismatic and has not run a particularly energized campaign. And she's been 
criticised for that. Um, and Carrie Lake is a brazen election denier. Some people are even predicting she could be Donald Trump's uh, running mate in 2024. If she wins um, the governor's race, and if a guy called Mark Fincham is elected Secretary of State, uh, he's also a, a radical election denier, then where does Arizona go from there? And you know, in 2024, if it's uh, a close election in Arizona, can those people be trusted to do it freely and fair, fairly, or will they just throw it in uh, Donald Trump's favor? You know, one of one of my favorite things is to is to listen to Bill Maher, who you couldn't really say is is on the right, and he's he's had a couple of interesting things to say these days that gets him into trouble with the left. And he said, you know, you can you can hate these candidates, but you can't hate the people who voted for them because they're your next door neighbors, they're your fellow Americans. And you mentioned at the very beginning of this interview that you know every election they say is the is the one that you know, defines America, and this is the one which will either save or destroy democracy. And that's obviously because politicians want people to go out and vote for them, obviously. But there has to be some part of America that turns away from this extreme polarity. Are there any people on the campaign trail at the moment talking about that? Or is it becoming so much more fractious that you actually, you could foresee America splitting into two different kinds of of country, if not two different actual countries, because some historians are already starting to to presage all of this with their predictions that this is on the way and it's inevitable. Do you think that's the truth? Well, um, Tim Ryan, who I just mentioned, has certainly been trying to to bridge some of those gaps and uh, criticise his own party as sometimes you know too elite or too woke, if you want to use those terms, and trying to connect. But I, one thing that sticks in my mind was going to. Um, Georgia to the home district of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's one of the most extreme uh, Republicans. Mm. Um, and I spent some time on the campaign trail with her Democratic opponent, uh, Marcus Flowers, uh, who's African-American. He's a, a military veteran. And I just uh, went with him door to door, just uh, walking up garden paths, knocking on front doors, watching him talk to voters who were there. One guy opened the door and said, you're a Democrat. So you're in, are you in favor of killing unborn babies? But then I watched Marcus Flowers engage with him, talk about his record of service, talk about his commitment to military veterans and actually win this guy round. And by the end, the guy said, you know, I'm going to vote for you. You know, if, if you're for military veterans, that's good for me. And I'm going to tell my friends. And so, you know, there one by one, I, I saw this Democrat trying to change hearts and minds, trying to have that personal connection. And it's, you know, it's a lot harder to dismiss and demonize someone when they're literally standing on your doorstep and you're seeing them there in person. And I, and I think there are thousands of Marcus Flowers around the country trying to do um, similar things. But for all the reasons we know, they, they certainly get less attention in the, in the media than the, the, the radical extremists and the, the loudest voices and, you know, same, same on social media as well. So I, and I, and I really don't know uh, where this is uh, heading. Um, there are moments like that that give you optimism, but then, you know, go to a go to a Donald Trump rally where every single person is convinced that the election was stolen. Every single person is uh, just deeply rooted in this warped uh, belief system that doesn't bear much relation to reality. And you think, uh, how can this big chunk of the population ever be won back? And you know, where is uh, America headed on on this? And yeah, I I really don't imagine. Well, I suppose we'll find out. Um, we'll find out in a few hours' time. We'll we'll figure out 
who's right and who's wrong and what the American public want in their in their new crop of governors, senators, and, and representatives. So all of that's uh, in the balance. But David, it's always good to have your take on these things. And thank you very much for taking the time and for sharing with us your insights. I hope we'll see you again soon. Good luck for today. Thank you. Thanks for having me.